turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Uh, We'll be looking at verses 1 through 21 this morning. Matthew 12, that's on page 766 of your church Bibles. It's also, again, in your service sheets uh, for your convenience. Um, I I, I will warn you, it's a bit of a longer sermon this morning, uh, which I didn't plan well with the Lord's Supper. We'll do, we'll we'll make it work. We'll we'll go with it, okay? Hang in there. Uh, Matthew 12, beginning in verse 1. Uh, and going through verse 21. This is God's word. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him? but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And, he asked, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, how to destroy him. Jesus Aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forevermore. So last week we said that that Matthew has taken us to uh, the special exhibit where we see six portraits of the person and work of Christ Jesus Uh, hanging before us in chapters 11 and 12. Today we're looking at just one of these portraits. Matthew offers us uh, a a particular focus on the issue of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was, uh, of course, a a sacred thing for the Jews of Jesus' day. And it became a point of of controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees, as we see this morning. But it's, it's actually no less controversial today. As a pastor, I get asked regularly, by often by, by one of you, or, or, or different ones of you, what is acceptable to do on, on the Lord's day, or, or what's forbidden to be done on the Lord's day, what we, what we now call the Sabbath. The portrait uh, that Matthew presents to us this morning is of a, of a Savior in whom we actually find true rest. And that, in fact, is the whole point of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not about what you do or don't do. It's, it's not about, it, it's not about the, the what. But ultimately it's about the where. Where are you looking for your rest? 
Where are you turning for your hope and your peace? The what we do, like most things in the Christian life, is actually driven by the where, by the object of our faith and our affections. And what he calls us to do determines our practice. So the Sabbath is, is actually a powerful thing for reasons we're going to unpack in a moment. But, but part of its power is that it reveals quite a lot about our own hearts and about our world around us. In many ways, the, the Sabbath or the, the Lord's Day, again, as we, we call it uh, in the New Testament church, is to, is to provide us a mirror in which we can examine our own hearts and challenge ourselves on what we really believe concerning the person and work of Christ. And there's three things uh, we see this morning regarding Jesus and the Sabbath. One, uh, the heart of the Sabbath. Two, the mercy of the Sabbath. And three, the Savior in whom we find true rest. So three points. Uh, the first one's quite long. The last two are, are far too short, but that's just how life goes sometimes. One, uh, first, the heart of the Sabbath. So let's set the scene here. Jesus and his disciples are, are walking through a field. It's, it's a Sabbath day. It was a, a Saturday in, in his, his time. And they're hungry. And so they're walking through this field of grain. So what do they do? They naturally uh, pluck bits of grain and they, they eat them as they're walking along. Now this isn't their field and it isn't their grain. But what is it that the, the Pharisees bring them up on? What do they accuse them of? They don't accuse them of stealing, but of doing what isn't lawful to do on the Sabbath. They're essentially saying that, that they're working on, on the Sabbath day, that they're harvesting grain on what's meant to be a day of rest. And this scenario sounds baffling to most of us, and uh, many, we, many of us would, would simply dismiss it as, as silly, wouldn't we? But it was a serious issue for the Jews of Jesus' day. It's also a, a serious issue even, even today for, for particularly Orthodox Jews. I, some of you probably heard me tell you the, the story of our, our pastor in the U.S. who got to know the Orthodox rabbi across the street. Uh, he, he had a big synagogue there. And he wanted to save money on electrics. So he wouldn't, uh, turn, the, he, he wouldn't turn the lights on before the Sabbath came. But he would go in on Friday evening when the, the Sabbath began, and he'd take along his Gentile um, his, his, his Gentile caretaker. And they would do this little thing where he'd walk into the room and he'd comment on how dark it was. And the caretaker would say, it is dark, Rabbi. Do you want me to turn the lights on? But he can't tell him to turn the lights on. So he just simply says, well, hmm, it's dark in here. And eventually the, the caretaker would go and turn on the lights. You know, this is the, the, the thing that, that, that you have to do when when you're, you're taking a legalistic approach to things. This is the sort of thing that, that Jesus is dealing with here. And how does Jesus answer the, the Pharisees, these critics, these, these, these men who, who wanted to keep this, this ceremonial law so carefully? Well, he begins by giving three examples from Scripture, doesn't he? For when it had been acceptable in the past to seemingly break the Sabbath law. He begins first, uh, the, these first two citations with this phrase, Have you not read? You know, it's funny, he, he feigns uh, surprise that these, these hardcore followers of the law had not, had not noticed these little bits of scripture. But he, he first references uh, King David, doesn't he? And this is before he was king. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. But David's on the run from Saul, who's seeking to kill him. And while he's on the run, he goes to Ahimelech, the priest. And he, he asks Ahimelech for bread. 
But Ahimelech tells him, the, the only bread that I have, I don't have any common bread or any ordinary bread. I only have the, the sacred bread. Every Sabbath, they would, they would put five loaves of bread uh, on the, the, the table in the temple. And this would, would represent, uh, well, there, there wasn't a table, temple there, but this was the sacred bread set aside as an offering to God. And it would be consumed, but it was only to be consumed by the priests themselves as, as part of their, their portion for doing the, the Lord's work on behalf of the people of God. But David presses Ahimelech, and he, he, he lets him know just how serious it is, how, how, how badly he needed bread to eat. And Scripture doesn't condemn David then for, for being given this bread and eating the bread. Neither does it condemn Ahimelech, the priest, for giving it to him. See, Jesus is appealing here to the foundational need for both common sense and mercy and the application of the law of God. But then the second example, he appeals to the law itself. He appeals second to the ceremonial law, the requirement for the priest to be present and serving in the temple on the Sabbath day. In fact, their required service was doubled what it was on a, on a normal day of the week. So they were, they were actually working harder on the Sabbath than any other day of the week. Yet they're not accused of breaking the Sabbath day. Now why is that? Well, it was because of the place where they were serving. Which seems quite obvious, doesn't it? The, the temple of God was sacred and the service of the temple was sacred. And thus they were not condemned for leading God's people in worship. Even though that was their, their vocation. It was also part of and central to the Sabbath. See, this is where Jesus makes his first real profound assertion, isn't it? This is where he says uh, to, to these men that, that the reason why it was acceptable for his disciples to do what they were doing on the Sabbath was because of, of where they were doing it. They weren't doing it simply in, in a random field that they were walking through. They were doing it in the presence of the true physical God, Christ Jesus himself. And that, that's, that's what he means by verse 6. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And he's saying that they're, they're doing something in the, the presence of God that can only be done in Jesus' presence. And this is a stopping at your attention statement. Think of what Jesus is claiming here, that his disciples are not guilty of breaking the Sabbath because one, one they're hungry, and the Sabbath is about mercy, and they have the right to quench their hunger. But second, because they're in the presence of God when they're with Jesus. They're like the priests in the temple in the presence of God when they're with Jesus. That's a bold statement. Let's see if it pays off. Jesus doubles down, doesn't he? His third argument is from the prophets, specifically from Hosea. Look back at verses 7 and 8. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. See, the, the heart of Jesus' argument here is that the heart of God is for mercy. For wide, it's it's wide tender, uh, it's wide-hearted tenderness towards him, and towards others. It's not meant to be a hard and oppressive commitment to keep certain laws. In other words, the the heart of the Sabbath and the whole point of of the Sabbath is to meet the longing of our hearts to be near to the God who made us, to be near to God who made us, who gives us our daily bread, and who covers and forgives. Our sins. The demands of the law can't offer us this. That's why the need 
That's why we need the Lord of the Sabbath. That's why we need Jesus. That's why it's so profound for Jesus to, to say that something greater than the temple is here. The, the temple was the, the building where, where uh, a stone that, that offered a glimpse of God's grace. It offered pictures of, of what God would do for his people in, in the sacrifices and ceremonies. But Jesus' presence is, is the true presence of God. And that should in many ways redefine the Sabbath because he, he calls us into true rest. And it does, does, of course, shift some things about the Sabbath. That's why we, we worship on Sundays instead of Saturdays because it's, it's marking the day of the resurrection of Christ. But what I want to suggest to us this morning is that none of us really get this. We're on, on one extreme of, of the, the Sabbath or the other. Some, some of us may be on the, the extreme legalist end, like the Pharisees. What, what, uh, you know, what's forbidden? What do we have to avoid? Where's, where's the red line? Others are on the other end of the spectrum where it's, what, what can I do on the Sabbath? Or why, why can't I just do whatever I want on, on the Sabbath? Hasn't Jesus fulfilled the law and so he, he frees us from that? And I, I would guess that that's where many of us are because that's, that's by and large where our, our culture is. Now this is where I think Jesus exposes our own hearts when it comes to the Sabbath. And here's, here's what I mean by that. When you look at the, the Sabbath in Scripture, you see it grounded in three places. Creation, the moral law, and then the ceremonial law. And Jesus, of course, is responding to the ceremonial law here. He's showing not just that, that the Pharisees have it wrong, but also that Jesus is the one who has ultimately fulfilled the ceremonial law of the Sabbath. What that doesn't mean, though, is that the Sabbath is, is done away with in Christ. In fact, it's, I, I would argue it's, it's magnified in him. It's changed, again, which is why we, we do some things differently. We, we celebrate the Lord's Day on Sunday instead of the last day of the week. We, we do take the Lord's Supper and celebrate the Lord's Supper together instead of sacrificing uh, all kinds of animals, which gets quite messy. But the Sabbath is not done away with because it's, it's first and foremost, it's, it's hardwired into us in creation. When you look at the creation account, we hear that, that in six days God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And on the seventh day he rested and he calls us, he calls us to follow that same pattern. In fact, the, he, he created us to follow that pattern. He's built into each one of us a need for rest and most of all, a need to know God and to draw near to him. And that's really what the Sabbath is all about. It's what the Lord's Day is for. It's, it is, it's getting a, a taste of the, the wholeness that we have in drawing near to God. It is where we become most human in that we were created in God's image to glorify Him and to worship Him and to enjoy Him. To find satisfaction and pleasure in, in, in God as our portion in life. See, the heart of the Sabbath is, is resting in our Creator and Sustainer and Redeemer. And that's why we, we look with joy to Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath. When we start to get that, and we start to get a, a taste of the satisfaction that we have in Christ, that the Lord's Day becomes a pleasure and not a chore. It becomes freeing and not a restriction. It's laying aside the worldly things to, to physically and spiritually rest 
And that becomes a joy to us. This is, in fact, where, Jesus, where, the, where the Sabbath exposes the brokenness of our, of our hearts and of our world. Why was the Sabbath encoded in the moral law? It's right there in the Ten Commandments, isn't it? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And the ceremonial law is fulfilled in Christ, but we've, we've heard in the Sermon on the Mount that we're meant to, to keep the moral law. So why is the Sabbath there? Well, the Sabbath uh, being in the moral law implies that it's, that it's there for everyone. It's something that's required of, of all humanity. The moral law is there to point us back to who we were created to be and to constrain our sin nature. So show us how short we are of who we were meant to be. The Sabbath is there because if we weren't told to keep it, if we weren't told that it's an absolute good for our humanity, then we would actually end up right where we are today as a culture that is ignoring the needs for humans to rest and find their rest in the one true God. But then wondering why, why we see so many struggles with, with mental health or wondering why we're so tired all of the time or wondering why there's so much abuse and injustice in the world. Nothing exposes abuse and injustice quite like the Sabbath. Think about it for a moment. God says to you, you should take a day off to rest from your work. And most people go, do I have to? That's nuts, isn't it? God says you were created for a day off, and you hate that. Why is the Sabbath in the moral law? Because the human heart is a factory for abuse, and it's a factory for fear. And here's what I mean. Two examples. First, uh, when I was growing up, I was talking to a, uh, an older friend of mine um, about the Sabbath, and, and I was giving him sort of my, at that time, half-baked views of, of the Sabbath. And he said to me that, that if, he, if he didn't work on the Sabbath, if he didn't work on the Lord's Day, you know, he was a Christian, he would go to church, but then he, wanted to, he, he would go to work after that. He said if he didn't do that, he wouldn't be able to feed his family. He felt he had to work on the Lord's Day, and, and every single day, for that matter. And there's two issues at play here. One is, is this man... Uh, struggled to believe the things Jesus taught us to pray and to trust our Heavenly Father for. You know, Jesus taught us to pray and trust God for our daily bread. Do we believe that God can provide that for us in six days? The second issue here, though, is that the owner of that business should have been able to provide his employee with, with a, a wage sufficient for him to live on in six days of labor. We weren't created to work that much, and it's an actual real abuse to overwork people and to underpay them. But we allow it all the time in our world and our society. We do it uh, in the name of, of the economy, don't we? Think how awful it would be if the, the whole country just shut down for a day every single Sunday. The economy would lose billions. Actually, I don't believe that would actually happen. We, just, we would just shift our economy, wouldn't we? We'd, we'd, we'd spend more money on Saturday. Saturday would be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? We might lose a bit of money, but I would expect people would be a lot happier and a lot more productive the other days of the week. The second example I'll give is, is one from, uh, from our friends up in Scotland, the Scottish islands. I can't remember which, which island it was exactly. It might have been Lewis, but it was one of those beautiful places up there uh, where they still have laws on the books governing uh, the, the Lord's Day, Sundays, and what, what can be done. And a few years ago, there was uh, a big debate uh, within one of the communities up there 
where the locals were saying that, that they wanted the, the local uh, leisure center to be open on a Sunday because they, aren't, they weren't religious, and that's one of the ways that they, that they relax. It's one of the, the things that they enjoy doing. Some, uh, you know, some might want to argue that we shouldn't have these laws on the books anymore. I think they're good things, and I'll tell you why. Because they protect people, like the workers who, who would normally enjoy a day off on a Sunday from having to go work an extra day each week to cater to, frankly, whiny middle-class people like myself who just want things their way. You know, we want to, to demand our me time. We want to demand our right to leisure. But the moral law is there not to tell us what we have to do, but it's there to tell us how to love God and our neighbor as ourselves. It's there to protect the vulnerable and weak in our, in our world and society because we, you and I, would very readily abuse them. This is why when you ask me what you're permitted to do on a Sunday, I, I, I always struggle to, to tell you, uh, what you what you can and can't do. You know, I always want to tell you that it's, it's actually the wrong question. Can I go to the shops on a Sunday? Well, frankly, if you think that, that Jesus wants you to, to support businesses that require their employees to be there to sell you things on that day, then go for it. See, it's less about it's less about you than it is about your neighbor and how you view your neighbor and how you love your neighbor. It's less about you than how you, how you understand and, and view God and love the Lord your God. See, we want to focus on what I can do when we don't stop to think how the things we demand as rights impact on others. It's ironic, actually, isn't it, that that we miss the joy of the Sabbath and, and what it has to offer in a world that's, that's so full of injustice and so focused on righting injustices. You know, we, uh, there, there's people who have no problem uh, gluing themselves to the motorway on Friday and to, to protect us from global warming and going out on Saturday down to, to Westminster and protesting in, in solidarity with asylum seekers. But then on Sunday, want to go to the, the pub for a roast where they're served by a single mom who's working two jobs to make ends meet and hasn't had a day off in weeks. That's not to mention the, the, the guy selling the, the stock all week and they're invested in that, that chain of pubs and they refuse to let it close for a day a week just to give their staff a bit of a break. See, we're blind and we're inconsistent and we're sinful people. And we're so focused on ourselves and our own pleasure that we cannot comprehend why God would tell us to take a day off and by extension to give a day off. We assume it's because he is strict and cruel and mean and he just wants to ruin our fun. When in fact he is the only one looking out for our true rest. And he is the only one of any of us who is truly concerned for the vulnerable in our midst. I can't get into every little exception this morning. And, and again, we're running out of time for the last two points. So let me just conclude by, uh, point one by, by reminding us that the heart of the Sabbath is about the place where you find Christ and draw near to him and enter into his rest. And you don't, you don't do that at Tesco or at Primark or at Costa. 
You do that in his word and in fellowship with his people. This is why we gather to worship the Lord together and encourage one another to fellowship uh, together after and between services. Because this is the place where we're truly human. When we glorify God and we enjoy him together. And this can't be a legalistic thing like the Pharisees wanted it to be. Which is why I really can't give you a, a, a really, really solid line to avoid crossing. You have to square your conscience with God's word and seek to love your neighbor and be merciful to those who need mercy. And that's what we begin to see in our second point this morning is just how deep this mercy runs. We see in our second point the mercy of the Sabbath. I'm, I'm going to be much, much briefer on these next two points, uh, but uh, there's a lot to unpack in that first one. Here's why I struggle to give you a red line. The, the legalist draws the line all over the place until they're completely trapped in their laws. We see that in verses 19 through 14, don't we? Jesus goes into the local synagogue, presumably on the same Sabbath day, and there's a, a man with a physical disability. He has a hand that's, that's uh, uh, withered and can't be used properly. And the Pharisees ask him this question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And what they were really asking Jesus is, is it right to offer non-life-threatening offer treatment to, for, for non-life-threatening illnesses and diseases on the Sabbath, on a day when we're meant to be resting. See, they considered this work. They considered showing mercy work. Now think about this for a moment. In the minds of the Pharisees, Jesus should say to this man, you know, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. I could make you well. But, but this would be breaking the Sabbath, which I think would displease God. So if you could come back maybe after sundown, just a few hours from now, then I, I'm happy to heal you. Sounds awful, doesn't it? And Jesus does way better than that, doesn't he? Jesus marks out the Sabbath as, as a day of mercy. If the Lord's Day is a, a day to draw near to God, then it means it's, it's a day when we worship and we do the things necessary to relieve the hurting Jesus is pretty explicit here that it's, it's, it isn't honoring to God to put off doing good for even a few hours in order to be a proper Sabbatarian. In fact, it's evil to do so. And did you notice the reason why? It's, it's because Jesus knows our true value. And he gives this example of the sheep. A little sheep falls into a pit and it can't get out. And walking by on the Sabbath, you hear it crying out, you don't just keep walking. It's, it's a poor little sheep. Fell into a pit. You, know, you would pull it out with a clear conscience. You might get your, your Sunday clothes dirty doing so. Jesus says you can, you can do the same for the people around you in need. You know, especially on the Lord's Day. Because Jesus knows their true value. And he knows your true value. And he doesn't stop to, to say this, man. What, what did you do? What did you do to, to get your hand like that? You know, you get a call from your friend whose whose car is broken on the the side of the road on a Sunday and needs you to go and and give him a ride back home. Well, do you go? Well, what were you doing in that car on on Sunday? Why were you traveling on on the Lord's Day? No, you're you're not meant to do that. You're meant to show mercy to those who are in need. You know, this is why doctors should go to work on Sunday, if they're called to to do so. As should other frontline workers. 
You know, if, you're, if your child or someone else is unwell on, on Sunday, you should, you should go and pick up paracetamol from the chemist to, to, to relieve them and to help them. You should take meals to the sick or you should buy a meal for, for uh, the rough sleepers. Why? Because, because the Sabbath is all about knowing the value of our neighbor and restoring our true humanity. Jesus heals a withered hand because it was an act of mercy. This man was not meant to have a, have a withered hand, but these are the sorts of things that happen in a broken world. But Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, could do something about it. He could make this man whole, and the Sabbath day is a day for being whole. Because it's a day for finding our rest in the mercy of the Lord of the Sabbath. That's what we see as we come to our third point this morning. We see the Savior in whom we find true rest. It's a, a funny thing happens as a result of this, of this portrait of Jesus, isn't there? Jesus, the, the one greater than the temple, the one who is Lord of the Sabbath, has so enraged the Pharisees that they go out to conspire as to how to destroy him in verse 14. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus does something genuinely odd. When he becomes aware of this conspiracy, he withdraws. That's the opposite of what you would expect a Messiah to do, isn't it? We expect our Messiahs to stand and fight, don't we? When you think of all the, the people in our day and age with, with Messiah complexes, where they're, they're activists for their oppressed people group, they, they don't withdraw an attack, do they? They just get louder. They use the attention to draw more attention to themselves. But Jesus does the opposite. And in doing so, Matthew presents us with a picture that, that summarizes the Savior we so desperately need. He isn't always the Savior we want. He doesn't affirm us in the rules that we want to, to, to keep because it feels easier, like the Pharisees. And he doesn't affirm us in the permissiveness that many of us want in our culture today. Instead, we see the, the simple Savior who offers us true rest because he offers us true mercy. Look at what Jesus does when he withdraws from, from this confrontation. Many followed him and, healed, and, and he healed them all, verse 15. And then Matthew says this was all to fulfill what, what was written about Jesus hundreds of years before he appeared by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Now just look for a moment at the, the kind of Savior Jesus is. He's a servant of God, who God the Father loves because he's his son. He brings justice, not just for, for the insiders of Israel, not just for the, the, the people who, who, who God called his people, but, but for us outsiders, for the Gentiles. He behaves how we should expect him to behave, perhaps not as, as we might want him to behave. We might want him to, to be loud and, and to, to uh, fight, but, but he behaves how we should expect the servant of God to behave. Not starting arguments, but with quiet and humble gentleness. Look at, how, look at how he treats us. Look at how he treats us 
broken, barely smoldering people. He's so gentle that, that he doesn't break the bruised reed and he doesn't snuff out the smoldering embers. You know, he's so gentle. He, he takes a man with a withered hand and, and he, he heals him very simply on the Sabbath. It's such a wondrous picture of, of who Jesus is and, and how gently he treats his people that, that I can't really explain it any better than, than what we've read right here. And you should feel the gentleness and the mercy of Jesus in these words. He's the Savior that you can rest in and find hope in because, because he's so tender in his mercy towards you. And this is the one that we can rightly look to as the Lord of the Sabbath. See, our Lord's Day should reflect that. And our practice on the Lord's Day should reflect that. It isn't a day on which to, to strive after our own labors or our recreations. But it's a, it's a day when we should draw near to a gentle and merciful Savior who calls us to himself because he created us for himself. We are our best selves when we, when we can lay aside all these things in the world that we think define us. And we can draw near to the God who alone can tell us who we really are. What can you do on the Sabbath? What can you do on the Lord's Day? If, you're, if you still aren't sure, then I would suggest, one, the sermon's worked. But two, the, the place to start would be in prayer. And pray that the Holy Spirit would give you a heart that's longing first and foremost to draw near to the Savior, the Lord of the Sabbath. Because Matthew says it's, it's better to be found in the secret withdrawn places with the one who heals us than often the, the city with the Pharisees or anyone else who would wish to rule over us. That's the wonder of the gospel. That God sent a gentle and gracious and loving Savior with whom we can draw near. And this morning we draw near to him, not just in his word, but we'll draw near to him at his table. So let's prepare our hearts to, to come to this his table in prayer. Let us pray.